tell you, I have been friends with this man for over 20 years. My friend Gabe Hobbs introduced me to him. And then as we started talking years ago, my wife used to book him for my show on him on uh, Fox Sports Radio. And I, I did this to Chris Landry the last month. Sills, I'm at the Combines. Sills, I'm at a pro day. Sills, I'm at a pro day. And you know what I kept doing? I love that. Because Chris is not like a guy who's just going to sit here and just start barking shit. He sees the player. He evaluates, hey, guys in shorts versus your tape. That's kind of how he looks at it. And I said this, okay? I said this. I think there's three wild players in this draft, maybe four. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, um, B. John Robinson, and maybe Tyree Wilson. The rest of these guys, I think they're good. I think you probably get down to 55 where you have some players that are going to help your team. I don't really think this is that strong a draft. I might be wrong. Chris may say, eh, you're a little off base here with this. Safety position's not very good. Linebacker position's not very good. DT's not deep. You're not seeing any of that. Okay, those are my opinions. Let's go over to our friend from Landry's. He is Chris Landry. Chris, I tell you, every time I contacted you, I kept with a smile on my face because that's great, man. He's out watching these guys. He's out at the pro days. He's at the he's he's at the combines. He's at all of this, and he's watching this, and he's really getting up close and personal with the players. And so I don't pollute the question to you, Chris. What were your takeaways from these 300-plus kids that you think could get drafted in a couple weeks when it comes to the depth of this draft? Is it good, bad? Do you think it's a strong draft? What's your takeaway? First of all, my takeaway is that if I could reach the big time like my man Sills, I wouldn't have to continue to work for these and consult for these NFL teams and have to be at all these God-blessed pro days for my 41st NFL draft. But, no, seriously. Um, you know, every draft has got their own personality. They're good players. Good players in every draft. This one has got its own personality. You got, you got a couple of quarterbacks that are, in, that are really good and some that are intriguing. You know, you got, got some running backs that, that has got some depth. You got a couple of them that are pretty good early. The receivers, you know, you've got some good ones, but it's, it's not as good at the top, but it's got depth. Tight end's got some depth. Um, defensive tackle, not as deep. I think you got some better edge guys. Um, you got some corners that can help. It's like anything else. You know, what I tell people, the draft is not what it's, it's made out to be in the media. It's not, it's not about mock drafts. It's about, uh, and, and I do work for a lot of teams. Everybody's board looks different. So when you say, oh, I can't believe it. That, those boards you're reading, those mock drafts, that's not reality. It's, Dan, you know this, that, that different teams have different styles and look for different types of skill sets. So a linebacker that's a perfect fit for Bill Belichick is not somebody that Pete Carroll is going to like and vice versa. Just for example, and both are successful. So <clears throat> keep that in mind that there's no, well, that's the best linebacker. That's the best. No, it's not. It's going to be different. 
There's some guys that are elite, some guys that can play for anybody, any scheme, anytime, anywhere. But a lot of it is about finding the right fit. And to me, it's about finding, like, I, you know, I've done, you know, I've done work, I've had a long-term relationship with Bill Belichick. He'll, he'll have, we're talking the other day, I think they've got on their total board, I can't remember if it's 63 or 67 guys. That that's sounds it. about, I think that's right. <clears throat> that's all they got, no, but that's all they have every year. And the point is, is there are a lot more guys than that that are going to play in the league. But for them, yeah, that's what, you know, and that's what people need to see. So that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, there's some really good players. Find them. It's not recruiting. It's not like, you know, when Sills was playing for Miami University and they get big Sills, they get Sapp, they get all those guys. You can't get all those guys. You you gotta you gotta find see the guys that are gonna fit for you, and you can't get the three top defensive tackles in this draft. You just gotta you gotta find some value later, and that's that's what the draft process is all about. Um, before I get into where the Eagles should go, I I, I want to give you a history, and I know you know this. And when I try to explain this to people and what I've done over the last two years and how I've looked, how they, I look at operating procedures and how, like you said, Chris, their mannerisms on how they handle the draft and how Howie is better at pro personnel. I think they're better at pro personnel than they are at the draft. I think they're better at making deals. And I want to show you this. And maybe this goes to what I see of, how they look at the draft since 2000, since Howie Roseman's been in the building, they've drafted 37 defensive backs. I was like this Lito Shepard, couple dudes. I mean, that's a failure. Defensive ends, 25 they drafted Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat. Okay. They've drafted 25 wide receivers Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson, Devontae Smith. I mean, linebackers, 23. I can't name you one. My point, Chris, is that when I look at O-line, A, exceptional. But the rest, Chris, why am I to believe that Howie Roseman is going to sit there at 10 and pick a quality guy when he's got two guys on the starting roster right now in the offense that were first-rounders? The rest of them were mid-rounders. And you know this, Chris. It's because that falls in line with the best player available. Give me your sense of the Eagles and how Howie drafts. Well, first of all, and, and I've told you this before, Howie is not from a football background, not coaching, not scouting. The reason why they're better in pro personnel is because their strength in the evaluation process is the coaching staff. They're a coaching staff-driven evaluation team. Scouts do the background work. Howie doesn't sit there and say, I like this guy. Howie doesn't know. That's not what he does. The coaches make those decisions. Howie's there to understand cap, understand how to do deals, and he's great at that. So the reason they're better in pro personnel is coaches, for the most part, are going to be better at evaluating pro personnel because that's what they do all year long. They're evaluating not only their team, but the the players on teams that they're playing and the players that they notice on teams that they're not playing, but they are part of the exchange team. And Dan, I'm sure you talk about this. So if you're in the NFC East and yeah. you're, you know, you're, you 
you don't play the Chargers if you're the Eagles this year. No, but if, I, I tell but, people but, but if they time, play, you know, if they play Minnesota and they see the Chargers play Minnesota, they see. So in other words, they know the league. The coaches do. The coaches are not as strong on the, the college side, and the scouting staff is. It's not bad, but it's not their strength. That's why they are what they are, and that's why they kind of manage it the way they do. And look, they do deals. They get deals, and they pick up. You know, like a guy from the Saints that, that's, you know, um, Gardner Johnson. Guys like that, they're able to find guys because their coaches say, this guy can help us. And then Howie goes and does a deal. Not because Howie's identifying the players. It's because uh, Howie's taken not the you – know, I, I just I'll say it. He's taken the lead from the coaches, and basically he kind of works for the coaches, even though he's the boss. He works for them because he knows how to stay in his lane and do what he does best. And not every guy does that. I would say this to you too, Chris. Explain this to people and myself. Okay, so in my opinion, at 10, to me, B. John Robinson makes sense. I'll tell you why. He's one of the top five players in the draft. They're probably a player away from winning the Super Bowl. It helps Jalen Hurts. Tell me why I sit there and do... Well, Sills, nobody's going to take a running back at 10. They're going to take an edge rusher. Why would you take the lesser player, the lesser evaluated player, and go with need? They did that last year, Chris, with Jordan. Da Jordan Davis was a player down in the 20s. They took him 13, <coughs> and they overdrafted again. Aren't you trying to eliminate that by getting the best player? What's the – What's your philosophy? Do you go best player or do you go need? Especially okay. in the top 10. Okay, when you're great, what's important to understand out there, it's not how they're ranked, it's how they're graded. So, for example, I'm going to use a grading scale that I've used for 40 years because a lot of teams use it and I've been a part of it. So, 7 4 to 7 oh, I won't go into the, the long running details exactly what that means. That's the highest grade, 7 4 to 7. That's the highest plateau. You may have two three players in a draft on a good year that fits into that category. Then you got six, nine to six, five. Those are immediate starter guys. So follow me. Those are different grade plateaus. So when the Eagles pick at 10, the seven, four to seven, O's are going to be gone. You're going to have a number of guys in that six, nine to six, five category. So by definition, all of those guys are graded equally. So you're so drafting in the pool. Yes. So like B. John Robinson, nothing wrong with outstanding to your point. Love it. But what if Wilson from Texas Tech is there? That's as good a player as B. John Robinson at an edge position. So, so my point is, is people think that, okay, the 10th best, let's just use numbers, straight numbers. Well, the 10th best player is really better than the 11th. No, not necessarily. You may have three players in that upper tier. And then you have players four through 14 that are in the next tier. Where you could be four. You could take any one of the remaining players, four to 14. They're all game because they're all graded equally. Now, you might have them stacked here or there, and you might eliminate a guy or two because of character, because of medical or something like that. But they're all, they're all in that same grade plateau. So that whole thing of – well, you know, I read on a mock draft, I read on somebody's top 50 that this guy's 10 and this guy's 
18. There's no difference maybe between a 10 or a guy ranked 10th and 18. They may have the same grade, but the diff- but there may be a big difference between player three and four. But player four through 14 may be the same grade. That's what we try to do at LandryFootball.com. We, we explain that it is the grade that takes you to the stacking. The stacking only, it matters within the grade grouping. If you're in the same grade plateau, man, have at it. Go with the cleanest, safest player. And if you've got Wilson and B. John Robinson, maybe a couple of others, then you can say, I, I like this guy a little bit better. Or B, where is their greater depth? So, for example, if you've got a great defensive end that's graded the same as B. John Robinson, what is the better chance to get an impact player at one of those positions in the second, third, or fourth round? Probably going to be better depth at running back. So that is why backs get pushed down a little bit because they're more fungible. They're more of them, whereas they're not as many good big guys, as you know, that can be impact guys, although you can find some. That's why Derrick Henry went in the second round. Yeah, and he is the who they build their offense around. And, And if you look at it, he, for them, yeah, it'd be worthy of taking, you know, him in the first round if you wanted to. Like, it's worthy of taking B. John Robinson. But what if there's a better player? So the answer is, well, why wouldn't they take B. John Robinson? No reason to not take him unless there's a better option. And we don't know who's going to be on the board. We, When you're at 10, you have a better idea than when you're at 20, you know, because there are less variables. But that's, that is the function of draft management. Let's figure out on this board how many of these guys that we really think are potential Eagles or Steelers or whatever you are, and let's get as many and let's maximize it. So, like, I love Blaine Bishop, but I got him in the – Blaine Bishop was an eighth-round pick. We, didn't, we don't have eighth rounds. I, you know, uh, Bob Sanders was a great player, but you didn't have to take him that high. I mean, you didn't you didn't have to take them in the first round, even though they probably graded. Well, they were you know, if you don't have to take them that high, Dan, then it's supply and demand like anything in business. So get you another good player and get him later. And but but I think you can fool yourself a little bit too much. I missed out on Curtis Martin. I don't know if I ever told you that story, but I wanted to draft him, and because he had all those injuries at Pitt, I waited one more round. One more round too late because two picks before we picked, Parcells took them. And so sometimes you could talk yourself out of that, but you're trying to maximize getting as many of those players. So that's a big part of the draft strategy. How about this here? Um, And tell me if you think I'm on or I'm off here with Jalen Carter. I have never in my 30 years broadcasting since I stopped playing ball and I've been in it, have I ever compared a player to Jerome Brown? And I see feet, hands, lateral movement, strength, and more importantly than I saw with Jordan Davis, production. He's an awful productive player. He knocks the pulling guards off. He gets penetration. He, he's got phenomenal feet. Now, he's got the same kind of issues that JB had when he came out of Miami. Little bit of a recluse on the edge situation. Mm-hmm. Um. If he falls to 10 and you're the Eagles, would you draft him? 
if you were head of the personnel department? It, it, it's it's hard to think that there'd be a better player. We're talking about maybe a better player is on the board. There won't be a better player on the board at 10 if he's at 10. Now, the question is, does your intel, does your psychological evaluation determine that he's a problem? Okay, so everything you said about him is right. I think he's as good a player as he is in this draft, period. He's just a dominant player. Um, like a lot of big guys, he kind of puts on a little weight. He picks his spots. You think he's you think he's as talented as Sue coming out? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I tell you, though, Sue had a little bit of a – I mean, Sue didn't make plays. Up to, Sue's issue was he'd step on your neck, and he'd yeah. never take a play off, but he might kick you after the play. This guy will take some plays off. A little bit, and the the off the field stuff is a is a concern, but I don't think he's a bad kid. I think you got to you got to at ten. I, I'd be look, I'd be nervous taking him at two or three because there are other those players that I mentioned. Two or three of those guys in the seven four to seven zero. Oh, he's one of them. Now he might have a shield on him, which is a shield as a maybe a character share or some questions. Yeah, at ten. <laughs> he's. He's one of the elite guys. I think he could be one of those elite defensive tackles. And you just, through your homework, you got to make that determination. Do, do you trust him? Do you look? We had. How important is the interview big, when you're talking big, that player versus the tape? Big. The most important thing. Because yeah. the tape's easy. I know what type of player he is. Um, interview with him, but you got to know the. The people and one of the things I do at the pro days and, and this time of year is when you've done this for 30, 40 years, a lot of these coaches, particularly now that are coaching, they were young kids coaching when I get in. And, and when you help them get jobs, they'll give you the skinny on a guy. They're not going to tell you something. They're not going to sugarcoat it because they may need a favor from you. And you got to get the right intel. If you're good with him, the tape's easy on this guy and the tape's easy on him. It's just the, the other stuff. I don't think he falls to 10, but if he does, as I said, I don't think there's anybody that's better on the board at 10 still left. In, in the, in Here's the why it quarter. makes sense, Chris, for Philly, because the guy who recruited him is the D-line coach and Tracy Rocker. You've got N'Kobe Dean and you've got Jordan Davis. I mean, you, you, you have all the personal – I mean, he went into the home, recruited the family to bring him to Georgia. I mean, you know, to me, yeah. maybe you even <clears throat> trade up if it's two spots to get him. I mean, uh, I, I, look, I mean, I think you absolutely all those things are on the table. And I think it depends on how it plays out. And I think I think the, the answer is how does he fall? So I think when he starts to when if he's there at seven, six or seven, that's when you start to think about, OK, you know, do we need to move up to get him? I, I, I was in a situation several years ago where it wasn't the same issues, but I liked the guy coming out, Javon Curse. And we tried, Dan, to trade up to get him. We were sitting there at 16. And we tried to move up, and we couldn't We couldn't get him. And we couldn't move up. We couldn't get him out to do a deal. We just, we just couldn't. And he fell right in our lap at 16. So you never know. Sometimes it can happen, but I don't think he falls all the way to 10, but I didn't think Javon would fall up to 16, which is why we were 
constantly trying to move up. But uh, he's that type of player that uh, I would absolutely in the Eagles situation be ideal. And and what, what's the strength of that team? It's been the, the lines of scrimmage both ways. And to get a guy that good, that's why that team is so good. Is I mean, the quarterback's coming along. And they get put. I mean, they can run the football. They can defend the run. I mean, they're good on both sides because they're good on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Why not take a guy that can be a generational player, that can be a dominant player, that, you know, could be like some of the elite guys that we see, you know, um, um, you know, dominating that we're, we're talking about getting big type defensive tackle money. This is the guy that's going to be in that same boat again if his character um, shapes up. I think he's going to be a great pick. couple last questions for you. Chris, um, I talked to Cornelius Bennett the other night, and I said to him, I said, man, Will Anderson, he reminds me of Cornelius Bennett. 6'4", 253. Um, Biscuit may have been a little bigger. And I said to him, I go, this guy's the best player across the board. He would have been the first pick in last year's draft. Excuse me. He is going to be a premium pick in this draft. He's the best player in both years, I think. Um, Chris, I look at him, and it looks like potentially Arizona. You know, the relationship that Jonathan Gannon has. I mean, would he be worth – going up and getting him at number three and putting him on the other side of Hassan Reddick. And you look at that line then in Philly, you'd have Will Anderson, Josh Sweat, Jordan Davis, Fletcher Cox, and Hassan Reddick on the other side. I mean, when you're close like that, Chris, to winning a Super Bowl and you lost players, they lost five starters in free agency. I mean, would you contemplate moving up to get him at three? Oh, I, sure, I would. If I could do a deal, depending on the cost, absolutely. Will Anderson is everything you mentioned and more. I, I think the thing that people don't talk about enough, this guy is not good. He is great against the run. Great. He is so long and strong. You know, we talk about, you talk about, I'm sure, a bunch with your listeners, setting the edge. See, a lot of guys can't do that. They're up the field and, this guy sets the edge, and he sets it, and he locks on. This guy is – he's one of – when I talk about the 7-4-7-0s, he's in that group too. So, yeah, now I think because he's so clean, you know, it's probably why you're talking about it this way. You know, the chances of, you know, Carter maybe dropping a little bit or there, this guy ain't dropping. I mean, you, you got to go where you just said he got to go – after the quarterbacks, because, I mean, I think he's right there. If, if if teams go, you know, quarterback, quarterback, and then maybe quarterback, you know, then you, you're right. You might have the best player in the draft sitting there at four. Four. You know, overall, you know, and, and of course, we understand the need to go get your quarterback if you don't have one, because those guys are good, too. But this guy's really good. So why not? And, and I do think that, you know, you're never one player away, but – to your question and, and your focus on the Eagles, and, and I know you you that I you you you're involved in talking about them a bunch. They they are a team that's really good, and one impact player through the draft um, signings could be enough to put them over the edge. And we saw how close they were. They were they were certainly you know good enough to to win it last year and, and didn't get it done. But but they. A guy like this would would work, and they've got they've got picks. 
multiple picks next year to too. get some leverage to do it. Uh, yeah, no, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, I'm sure, and this is what I think Howie is the best at doing, he's also looking at contracts and what it's going to cost not only this year but next year. So keep this in mind. I'll leave you with this. Keep this in mind that the draft sometimes, when a pick doesn't quite make sense, it's a message sent to what is probably going to happen contractually on players on the current roster after next year. So sometimes it's it's why you need to really hold true to staying with your grades and getting the better players because the need factor, you the need becomes it changes, Dan, based upon who you're able to re-sign, who you who you lose, who gets injured. So I mean the strength on Monday, next next Sunday is all of a sudden we need two more guys at that position. Finally here. Chris, what's happened in Baltimore? I mean, for an organization that just landed on just insane draft picks, we're great in free agency. And I get the changing of the guard of Ozzy to Eric Costa. I get that. You had three years to get this Lamar Jackson deal done, and you couldn't get it done. I mean, what? I mean, is, is it really just front office that has allowed this thing to disintegrate the way it has? Dan. I got a different reading on it. They have made really good offers. I, 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 you know, I haven't seen it on paper, but I've heard some of their offers. I think the problem is the opposite. I think the problem is Lamar doesn't have an agent. And so he's got in his mind, and you you know where I'm going with it. I'm not a – Deshaun, Deshaun not, Watson. Well, Deshaun Watson, but it's the fact that this guy doesn't have an agent. Lamar doesn't have an agent. And so – he doesn't you know, like the shit that's being talked to him because yeah, that's an ugly process. And you can't have that. You had an agent, you know, and, you know, you got to have somebody, you know, say, Dan, I love you, but let me tell you what the market is for you. You know, I know you think you're worth $5 million, but the market says you're worth four. And okay, they have I a problem you. with you, and they have a problem with you showing up to workouts late. And you know what? You need to get your ass in and, when and, you're being told that directly, Chris, it's, it, it's, it's, you take it personally, which is bet. the role of an agent. The agent is to say, I get it, and I will buffer that and make sure that my guy doesn't hear your tone and what you said, but he gets the message the right way, and he understands that we all love you, but, you know, sometimes you got to say stuff. You know, you've been there, done that. Oh, yeah. He doesn't. I mean, he has totally lost this, and I get it. He wants this guaranteed Deshaun Watson deal, and I don't, unless somebody breaks ranks, Dan, my understanding is that the owners mean ain't nobody doing it. So, okay, is he going to get tagged? Is he going to show up on the tag? Is he going to do the Kirk Cousins deal, get tagged twice in a row? And then, I mean, play this like you want, Lamar, but not having an agent like I hate to say this, they're worth their three percent or whatever they get, because this is this is the problem. Right now, it's an impossible deal to do because you the player doesn't want to talk to you. He's pissed off. Well, how are you going to do a deal? They haven't talked in I don't know how long. They made an offer, and I don't have the numbers with me. Staggering. So people think, oh, they couldn't get a deal done. Well, I mean, it takes two to make a deal. I mean, you know, they made an unbelievable deal. But if you want the fully guaranteed Deshaun Watson deal, 
I don't think you're getting it from any team in the league. So you're probably going to have to get your guaranteed money through the franchise tag and maybe get it again for the franchise tag. And then that's where it seems to be headed unless it doesn't appear Lamar is going to budge on what his thoughts are. And I don't think he has enough of an understanding of how contracts in the league works and, and, and I think that that lack of a buffer is just killing this negotiations. I, I see the problem being on Lamar's side. And I, I get what you're saying. Get it done. And I've been there before. Why haven't you get it done? Well, I've done everything I can. But, you know, the deal is a beyond good deal that they've – I mean, it's it's it would make him uh, in that range of the – the loaded of uh, not completely fully guaranteed, but Dan, it would set the market on its heels what they've offered, and he's just turned it down. Okay, I, I don't know what to, I don't know where to go from there. Just I don't know. LandryFootball.com. Chris has got all the player breakdowns. He goes to every single uh, pro day. He's been there to the combines. NFL teams have him as a consultant. I have known him for over 20 years. Please make sure you go to the website. A little more inf- information for them, Chris, so they know where to go just in case. Yeah, LandryFootball.com. I got a really good offer at the front. We call it the scouting season offer. If you want to get the rest of the draft information, free agency, uh, it, and it'll take you all the way through next football season to next year at this time. It's the best deal we've got going, but you can try it out for a month or six months. Uh, also subscribe to the Landry Football Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to, we do a lot of different podcasts, but the LandryFootball.com is where you get the most detailed, the most uh, unique breakdowns from a coaching, scouting, and front office executive standpoint on the college game, the NFL game, recruiting, transfer portal, free agents in the NFL, the draft, you name it. If it's uh, if you like football, you're going to love LandryFootball.com. If it involves players, teams, coaches, schemes at the college or NFL level, we got you covered. Chris, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you for your patience and waiting me to get off the road. Appreciate oh, you, you bet. Anytime, man. That's All great. Right, I know he's out working. That's why. I got to take a quick time out, Tone. I haven't taken one. Please hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show.